Asian Boxing Podcast, Scott and Colin hanging out with you here today on a gorgeous afternoon in California, in London. Wait, you're not you're not from London, are you? No, a bit further north than that, and it's you know been a lovely day. It's I've never heard that together, grouped together, wonderful and storms in the same sentence. I applaud you for being positive. People are flooding around parts of London, so yeah, it's wonderful for you. We're not too badly affected. I mean, it's 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 good for you because you could be inside recording this podcast. You don't you don't have to say, "Well, I should be outside doing something," uh, because it's it's raining. Exactly, it's a reason to stay inside. Reason to stay covered up. Scott and Colin with the Asian Boxing Podcast. Thank you for joining us, Scott. Let's uh, go back to last week couple of results where we saw some some shockers we saw what we expected uh what was the most impressive result out of last week the most impressive well at least the most surprising probably was Ryuji Fukunaga being Froyland Saluda this was a genuine surprise I was expecting Saluda to build on his big win from last year and he got battered in the end he after a good start, he left Fukunaga with bruising around his eye. Uh, Fukunaga's basically fighting one eye, but still pulled it out of the bag, stopped Saladar to claim the Dewey BR Asia Pacific Super Flyweight title, and probably the best performance of the week. Saludar was the favorite in this fight, right? Had to be, yeah. Completely. Fukunaga was relatively unknown. It was a big step up. He'd had four losses. He'd lost every time he stepped up, basically, and... Pulled out the bag. Fantastic performance by him. We remember Saludar fighting Shokimura for the World Fly uh, title. And he, he lost in, in knockout fashion. But I, I thought that maybe, you know, he if winning this, he could advance and possibly get another shot at a, a world title. That seemed to be on his mind. He spoke when he won the, won the regional title that he wanted to fight Ayaka. Um, but yeah, it was a... Genuine shock to see him being stopped by Fukunaga, just broken down with body shots, a bit like Kimura did. Um, just kept the pressure on, got solid out, and he was tired and took him out. So now with this huge upset, what does Fukunaga do? I think he milks the title. To be honest, I don't see him holding it very long. He's not very good, if I'm being completely honest. He's tough. He's heavy-handed, but yeah, that title's not going to be around his waist for more than one or two defenses. Two impressive knockouts. Shuichiro Yoshino, Daiga Higa. What did you think about their performances, Scott? Higa, Higa looked like a man who had been out the ring for a while. He'd been out for almost two years due to suspension. and It kind of looked like he was perhaps not motivated as he had been in the past. He's still completely dominated Jason Buenalbra, but he didn't look quite as sharp, quite as hungry as he had in the past. He admitted as much afterwards and really worryingly suggested that might be the end of his career. He may be hanging them up if he can't, you know, get the motivation back to try and become a world champion again. And that would be a real shame. As for Yoshina, oh boy, he got a test. He was down in the first round. He was getting out, jabbed out, pointed out, punched. Yeah, Tomioka kind of gave him a bit of a lesson at times. And then... Yoshino's power bailed him out. He brought down Tommy Ocker whilst down the skull cards. He admitted after the fight that he had areas to work on. 
And boy, does he. He had no answer for the Tomioka job. This is maybe a good learning lesson. You go back to the drawing board and say, all right, we need to fix some things. Uh, defensively, maybe we're not as sharp as we should be, and our power ha- has taken us farther. You know, we've gone farther because of our power, but we need to work on some things if we want to move forward. That's certainly part of the argument. The other part is that Tommy Ock is actually a really good boxer. There's not many lightweights out there with the jab and the movement of Tommy Ocker. He's a physical freak. He's very tall. He gave Masayoshi Nakitani fits as well. Tommy Ocker's perhaps a guy that no one's going to look good against. He's very skilled. He certainly exposed some of Yoshino's flaws, but that's because Tommy Ocker's actually rather good in soul. And even if Yoshino does have flaws, every fighter has flaws. Every fighter's going to get dropped. But we got to see a little bit of resolve and you still have Yoshino's power on display where no matter who he gets in with, um, he does have a little bit of an equalizer and, and power just, it carries, it carries. Sometimes being a great boxer, you know, you can, you can in a bunch of rounds and then get knocked out. Uh, but, but having that power sometimes just always is, the, the great equalizer when it comes to a, a matchup against boxer versus puncher. It certainly has built him out here. Um, yeah, we've seen it quite a few times from him where he has been losing rounds. He's been putting the back foot and he has caught his opponents with an absolute bomb. He did the same, I believe, against uh, Spicy Matsushita where he's been outboxed. Then he took him out. So, yeah, it's... It's good that he's got it, just perhaps he needs to learn not to rely on it quite as much. Kimura was back in the ring, and he fought Sabio. What did uh, Sho do? Sho looked quite good. We didn't see enough of the belt, really. But he looked calm, he looked poised, he pressed well. Um, landed an absolute gorgeous hook on Sabio that dropped Sabio, but the stoppage seemed to come more from Sabio. Effectively, really, he seemed to suffer a really nasty leg injury. To be honest, um, the shot was a nice one, but Sabio's like twisted and bent in horrific ways when he went down. For Shoki Moro, what what do you think he's going to be doing after after a win like this? He spoke after the fight about trying to get a world title bout at some point this year. The big question, I think, is really what weight is he going to be fighting at? Whether it's going to be flyweight or light flyweight? If he fights at flyweight, there's some really nice options out there for him. Perhaps a bout with Artem Delakian or the win of Nakatani versus Magrama. If he drops down in weight, maybe possibly a bout with Hiroto Kaigushi. There's a lot of options out there for Kimura, and it's going to be really interesting to see what weight he goes forward at. I'm just happy to see Shokimura back in there because he's, for me, one of the most exciting fighters in the in the game in the sport, and uh, there there was times where he was saying, "Oh, I might retire," which hey, I I wouldn't blame him if that was the case. But to see that fire, see that hunger back with Shokimura, very exciting. Yeah, it almost sounds like Daigo here, doesn't he? Uh, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Let's hope that Higa finds his hunger just like Kamara has. Last Friday on Valentine's Day, there was a big card. Jorge Linares, I I consider him to be an Asian boxer just because he fights 
you know, he's fought a lot of Japanese. He is trained in Japan. Uh, he got a big victory. But uh, the Asian boxer, we do want to really highlight Bektamir Melikusiev. Melikusiev. I, 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 I probably butchered that. I'm sorry, Bektamir. <laughs> the, the Uzbek got to see the Southpaw in action in his just his fifth fight in Anaheim, and he got the old KO. He was originally penciled in to fight Mac Antonio Perriban in what would have been a really, really good test. Unfortunately, Perriban was replaced about a day before the fight by Oscar Cortez, who he had this sort of Mike Spinks look when Spinks fought Tyson. What have I got myself in for? He didn't want to be there. I'm not really sure why the bout was sanctioned. Cortez was he was a beaten man before Punish was thrown. All these Uzbekistans just so impressive, but they are all all rising, it seems, at the same time. Where's what's the ceiling for Bektamir? His ceiling's probably his weight. Um if he can make it down to middleweight or super middleweight. He can easily win a world title. He has the power. He has the skills. He has the boxing IQ to be an absolute star. Unfortunately, it seems like he's wanting to you know, fight a bit heavier, and that's probably his limit. If he can drop a weight, get down to a weight that actually suits his body type, he's going to be an absolute star. He's not particularly big, about five foot nine, five foot ten, so he needs to try and fight either middleweight, super middleweight at push. Definite future world champion, like Israel Madrimov and uh, current unified champion Murjan Akhmadaliev. The guy's just a special talent. There's going to be a lot of Uzbekistans with the hardware pretty soon. It's AsianBoxing.info, the Asian boxing podcast, Scott and Colin. This weekend, huge, massive fight, and this is a boxing fight that transcends the world of uh, Asian boxing and boxing in general. On the card of Fury Wilder is uh, Navarrete defending his title, his super bantamweight title against uh, Santissima. This is what, what do you think about this, Scott? I mean, Navarrete, tough, tough cat at super bantamweight. Yeah, I think Navarrete is probably the number two in the division. Um Definitely in the top three. I don't think anyone argue with that. He's an absolute monster. Uh, but I think his competition is really poor, if I'm being honest. Since he beat Doug Bo the first time, I don't think there's anything on his record that suggests he's the talent that we seem to be. He's passing the eye test, but his, his opposition are helping that. Santosima is sort of like a rough version of what Navarrete would be um, I think a dollar star version of Navarata so it could be a fun fight it could be a really fun fight Santosima likes to let his hands go Navarata lets, not likes to let his hands go just unfortunately for the Filipino he's yeah he just didn't do anything as good as Navarata I'm thinking this is going to be a fun one-sided beatdown <laughs> unfortunately Santosima is going to take a lot of punishment he's going to Go for it, but be battered. At Super Bantamweight, Navarrete, I think he's like 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, that length, just it, it's going to create so many problems for fighters at the weight. Uh, the big question is, 
when is he going to get challenged? Yeah, it's something that top rank really need to do sooner rather than later. If they don't challenge him rather quickly, you're going to see guys like Akhmadaliyev uh, just make the argument they're the more successful guy at the weight. It's kind of like you've got Ray Vargas there as well, and you've got Daniel Roman looking for a chance. So you've got hungry contenders. Just time that Navarrete first one of them. This is another possible fight that I've heard about. Inoue Navarrete. Obviously, Inoue still has to get through his bantamweight challenge on April 25th against Casimiro. But could you see that being a possibility? And if so, who would you have in that one? It's a possibility, but I don't think we'll see it, to be quite honest. I think Navarato moved up before Inoue moves up. Yeah, it's pretty close to 50-50. I'd favor Inoue's movement and ability to create angles, probably use Navarato's aggression against him. Don't see the guy sticking. I don't see Navarato sticking at the weight for very long. Oh, man. I, I want to see it. Yeah, you're right. He's He's incredibly big. And uh, too big for the weight class, but that's kind of why he dominates. It seems that pretty soon he's going to move to to featherweight and and see what he can do there. I'm just saying that would be a great matchup. It really would challenge Inoue because just because of the size difference. The Asian Boxing Podcast with Scott and Colin. Before we move on, Scott, I know it's not there. There's no Asian boxer uh, between these two. But your Fury Wilder prediction? I've just done a preview for um, Top Class Boxing where I've gone with Wilder and second half of the fight. I don't think we'll see Fury fight half as well as we did in the first. I think the cut he suffered from against Wilder will be an issue. And I think at some point Wilder will catch him. And you're on? I love them both. I really do. They're they're great personalities. They bring attention to the sport. They're both really just good for the sport. And I love that they're fighting right now. They didn't wait. You know, they had a good first fight and a couple other tune-up fights in between. But they're making it happen while they're both still pretty darn sharp. But Wilder's just been... He's been on a tear recently with the Brazil knockout. That impressive Luis Ortiz knockout. And I think that he's coming with so much confidence. Fury is a heck of a boxer, but Wilder, that power, I, I can't bet against that power anymore because there's times where I'm like, yep, he, he's going to get outboxed. And as much as I love Wilder, he's just he's not the best boxer. But what he does well is, is hard to stop. People call him a one-trick pony. Hey, that one trick is darn impressive. And he has a lot of dynamite in that right hand. If you're a one-trick pony and it works, then why change? Why change it? Yeah, so I have, like you, Scott, Wilder late KO. But, I mean, that's going to be a fight that I'm uh, going to keep my eyes on this weekend. And I think a, a lot of the sporting world will be uh, looking at that as well. Heavyweights always bring in the eyes, the viewers, from not only boxing, the boxing world, but the world of sports just because they're they're larger-than-life characters that get in the ring. Asianboxing.info, the Asian Boxing Podcast. We need a Japanese heavyweight, Scott. What do you mean? How can you forget about Ryu, uh, Ryu Ueda, the current Japanese heavyweight champion? How dare you? I'm sorry, Ueda. Is, is, is he going to be next? Is he going to be next for Wilder? 
he won the title last year, the Japanese title, to become the third ever Japanese heavyweight champion. I think if he has any brains, he uh, stays the hell away from anyone from the West. Just anyone in general. Just stay in Japan. It's hard because, you know, when you're Japanese, one, you're not the biggest. There's not a lot of guys to fight out there in Japan. There's not a lot of big guys. Do you fed him though? I think he's about six foot five. He's just he looks the part. Looking at him, you kinda of go, Wow, he's an athlete. Then you see him boxing, you go, Oh boy. The only reason why he's boxing is because he's six foot five. <laughs> and his competition, the guy that he beat the title from was uh forty almost, so yeah. That's not a bad gig. I would stay there then. I would just stay in Japan and be like, Yeah, I'm the heavyweight champ of Japan. Perhaps try and get Nobuhiro Ishida to come back and fight you as well. There you go. Scott, we have a lot of news to get to. Um, first of all, let's start with the huge wave of young fighters turning pro. There has indeed been an absolutely insane amount of fighters that have turned or announced that are turning pro over the last week. Um, Tersenbe Kolkmet from, uh, from Kazakhstan uh, was the first. He won a bronze medal at the World Championships last year and a goal at the Asian Championships. He is signed with MTK. Uh, we moved on a few days, and this week we've seen four Japanese guys announce they're turning pro in the space of two days. Uh, yeah, it's just been a sudden influx. One of those was John Ikigawa. He's probably the least promising of the four from Japan. Toshihiro Suzuki. Um, for around 90 times an amateur, he had success internationally and domestically, and his brother is already making waves in the pros. You then have Ryutaro Nagagaki and Kisuke Matsumoto, who both signed with Ohashi Gym. Matsumoto has been on the radar for years. He has had TV, <laughs> TV documentaries done on him. He has, uh, his father's a two-time world title challenger. He's been sort of the prodigy of Kiri Aigashi and Noye Inoue. He's one to keep an eye out. However, Nagagaki sounds a more confident guy. He's earned to win a world title in two years. It's just, there's been an influx, and I think we're going to see a lot more of it. Everyone just trying to break Lomachenko's record now, huh? Or uh, Kosei Tanaka's record. Who can get the most world titles at the youngest of ages? <laughs> Out of the four, I think Nakagaki's got the best chance of winning all title um, and matching Tanaka's record. I don't think Matsumoto's going to go for it. Suzuki might. Yeah, Nakagaki's probably the one to keep an eye out for. All right. So remember that name, Ryutaro Nakagaki. It's going to be a household name for for years to come, we hope. And there's just been all these young, young Japanese fighters that have really impressed, not only in Japan, but they come over here and, and they've done well. You see Naoya Inoue, Kosei Tanaka. Uh, it's, it's impressive to see the amount of talent that Japan is churning out. Yeah, you could include the likes of um, Hiroto Kaigushi, Daigo Higa, Kenshiro, Kazuto Ayoka to some extent. It's just like there's been this wave and it just keeps coming and it's such an exciting period for Japanese boxing. Mika Iwakawa 
is going to make her first defense of the WBO Atomweight title. Uh, this is news coming down the pipe. When is this going to happen, Scott? This will take place on March 17th on the same card as Alito Dante's bout with Masataka Taniguchi. Um, Iwakawa has been the champion for well over a year without defending a title, so it's all, it's all time. Get that belt in the line and yeah. Um, she's getting on a bit. She's in her mid 30s. She's not been the most active. She is better than her record suggests. So whether or not she's actually going to hold the title for much longer, possibly, uh, I don't know, Nanai Suzuki, who she's defending against, is very good. She's been in great great form recently. So, hmm, it's... The atomweight division is so weird. It's not a division that men ever fight in. It's 102 pounds. It's very high-octane action. As you age, perhaps Iwakawa in her mid-30s is just going to slow down a bit more than the 27-year-old Suzuki. Junto Nakatani, he's going to have a huge step up. He'll be fighting against Magramo for a a title, and this is his first world title shot. It's his first world title shot. It's Magramo's first title shot. It's a really brilliant matchup. Two youngsters, two hungry guys, two... Guys have been knocking on the door the last year, year and a half. It's a hard one to call. Uh, my grandma's probably the more experienced. He's definitely fought the higher caliber opponent. He wins um, in China recently and a very close bout to Mohamed Wasim. He's probably the more proven. But Nakatani's Nakata been on the radar for so long. He's been impressing for so long. He looks like a star in the making. Really, really good fight. Very hard one to call. Junto's been training out here in, in California, Los Angeles, the at the Maywood Boxing Gym with uh, Rudy Hernandez. And I think he's just gotten so sharp. And, and to get sparring out here as well against a, a bunch of different champs, uh, sparring with guys like Daniel Roman. Akatani's, I think he's ready, and uh, he's young, but he's dangerous at the weight. He's very dangerous, very big, very quick at the weight. Magrama's also very good. I, I think it'd be a, a mistake if we were to overlook the Filipina. Uh, any other news that you have, Scott? A knockout CP Freshman will defend his WBA title um, early in March against Norihito Tanaka, the former Japanese national champion. And Yudai Shigioka has had his next opponent named, and it's a really, really underwhelming announcement. He'll be facing the guy his brother beat on his brother's debut. After really impressing against Lito Dante last year, Yudai should have been taken on a fringe domestic regional level guy instead he's making the guy his brother beat up. But Shigeoka, as we speak of young talent and fighters that are impressing the Shigeokas, they're going to be formidable for years to come as well. Yeah, let's just hope they don't waste too many fights at this sort of level. I think Ginjira's probably going to get a world title fight. I think when he vacates his regional title, his brother's then going to pick that one up. But it's a shame. It feels like it's such a big step backwards. You want them to challenge themselves 
But I understand they're still young, and I think it's okay to have a little bit of seasoning before throwing yourself to the wolves. A little bit of seasoning. Unfortunately, Sunchai isn't going to offer any sort of seasoning. He's going to be, you know, what's a tasteless food? Asianboxing.info. The Asian Boxing Podcast on the, the website, Asianboxing.info. You're going to find everything you want. Videos, news, uh, the schedule. For upcoming fights, this podcast, Scott does an incredible job with the website. Also, if you want to become a Patreon member, please sign up. Scott, who do we have so far for our Patreon members? We have Clement, Dominic, James, Marcus, Nadiem, and Tim, all of whom we want to thank um, for the pledges they've made so far. And hopefully they'll continue to uh, back the site as they have done so far. Cheers, my friends. Thank you very much. The Asian Boxing Podcast, Scott and Colin, will talk to you next week.